Paul said it like this, church. I want to get you to smile this morning. Hey, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Amen? His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And you know what? I could be in hell this morning. I should be in hell this morning. Everything I've ever did, every action I've ever taken caused uh, uh, the deserving of hell to fall upon my life. But because of the grace and the goodness of God, here I stand before you far above better than what I deserve this morning. Amen. And you're in the same boat I am. If a tornado were to come right now and wipe this building off the map, every one of us has gotten far better than we deserve. And you know what I say about that? Praise God. So, the song, back to it. Why did God allow us to be here this morning? Well, just like he showed me. We have this notion in Christianity today, and I'm guilty of this as well, that God wants you to give him your life. Just give God your heart and give God your life. Well, I've been guilty of saying that too, but it's not true. God doesn't want your life this morning. Your life's not good enough this morning. What does God want from us? He showed me that this morning about 3 o'clock, 3.30 this morning. He wants us to die to ourselves. And let Jesus live his life through us. That's what that song was talking about. Let, let us die and let him live his life. Let our heart be the throne of Jesus' life. So God said to me, Keith, it ain't about you. Amen. It's about me and my word and my glory. And I will do exactly what I plan on doing, what I want to do, regardless of how you may feel about the matter. Amen. And amen. So he lets you be here this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter number 53. We've been in Isaiah now for three or four weeks. And I, even I was wondering, where in the world is this going? Well, this week God made it very and abundantly clear where we were supposed to go with Isaiah 53. Where we were to finish this thing up on Easter Sunday, the Resurrection Sunday. As most of you know, today is what is referred to as Palm Sunday. Shane had this big thing planned where she was going to have Montana ride in on a donkey this morning in children's church. And, and she had the donkey lined up and everything. And that thing, was he was going to ride in on it. And she was going to give him this big visual effect of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on that uh, donkey. Well, you know the, the story about Jesus coming into Jerusalem on uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, it's uh, listed over there in Matthew chapter number 21. I'm not going to go there and... Uh, we're in Isaiah 53 this morning, but Jesus comes riding into on Sunday on a, on a donkey into Jerusalem, and they're throwing palm branches down on the ground, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, they're really lifting him up, and they're building him up, and they're, hey, the king has come, and the one that's overthrown, is going to overthrow Rome, is come, and well, we know by Friday what happens. The king's come, but by Friday they're saying crucify him, crucify him. Well, Shane wanted to build that visual up this morning. But you know what I got to thinking? The visual of that and all that took place during that Passion Week of the Lord Jesus Christ is laid out right here in the book of Isaiah. Well, you know we started over there in chapter number 53, verse 13, and we talked about the 
proclamation of the servant. And then we talked about the perplexity of the servant that people didn't understand and we still don't understand today. And then last week we got into the passion of the servant. We talked about the passion of the servant in Gethsemane. And today I, I want to carry that theme on, the passion of the suffering servant as we gather on this Palm Sunday to celebrate Passion Week, the week before Jesus was crucified on the cross. And I want to read you just a few verses out of Isaiah 53, beginning at verse number 7. The Bible records these words. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Let's pray. Father, we gathered this morning, your people, depending upon you. Lord, it's Palm Sunday, what we gave the name to that day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they took palm branches and threw them on the ground and he walked upon those symbolically, Lord, to show that the king had arrived. But Father, we're well aware that by Friday they were shouting, crucify him. Those same folks that on Sunday had said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Father, we're often like that as well. One day we cry, the king is coming. And the next day we reject him, turn our backs. And Father, as we read in Isaiah 53 today, such a clear picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it's, it's going to have to come from you today. So Father, I pray that in the power of your spirit, Lord, what you want us to receive, we would receive. What you want us to get, we would get. And Father, that you would bring glory and honor to yourself this day. And Father, prepare our hearts for next Sunday when we're going to celebrate the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. We were talking about the trial or the, uh, the passion of the suffering ser servant. In uh, Michelangelo, you know, most of you have heard of him. He was an artist back in the 1500s, early 1600s. He... Uh, was a painter there in Milan, and they, you know, he moved to Rome, and when he moved to Rome, they were building those new churches, and he wanted to paint those churches and paint those uh, beautiful pictures that we still get to look at this day on those great cathedrals over there in Rome. In 1602, he painted a picture that's called the Taking of the Christ. The picture, it was created... Uh, to allow the viewer to kind of contemplate the arrest of the Lord Jesus Christ there in Gethsemane. And there's two main elements to that picture. Uh, the first is Judas as he gives the kiss uh, 
to the Lord Jesus, what we know today as the traitor's kiss. But immediately the viewer is focused and he's drawn toward Jesus' hands as they're passively clasped together behind his back signifying that he would not fight this arrest, that he would not stand against this arrest, showing the world that it had been God's plan all along as he offers no resistance to this injustice that's done to him. Although Jesus possessed the power to create the universe, to call 10,000 angels, to literally calm the seas, to raise the dead, He gave himself up voluntarily to his captors knowing that he would be unjustly sentenced to die on a cross on Calvary's hill. Knowing this was his his fate, he didn't defend himself. He didn't try to give an answer to his accusers. He willingly chose to die for my sin and your sin. That, my friends, is the passion of the suffering servant. I want to look this morning in Isaiah 53. We've talked about uh, all of that that led up to this this morning. I want to look at the, the trial of the passion, the trial of his passion. It's found right there in verse number 7. Listen to what the Bible says. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. His Uh, The trial of his passion. Jesus was afflicted. That word there, oppressed, literally means to be driven down. It was a word used in the Old Testament. Same word, talking about the taskmasters when the Israelites were slaves, uh uh-oh, excuse me, to the Egyptians and how the weight of the Egyptian army, the weight of the Egyptian government, the weight of the Egyptian sovereign, Pharaoh himself, was compressed upon those Israelite people, forcing them to do what they did not want to do. Well, that's the same word that's used right here, the weight of the Roman army, the weight of the Israelite uh, uh, religious leaders, the weight of the sovereign of the universe, God himself was put down, pushed down on top of the Lord Jesus and was crushing him under its weight. The trial of his passion, the Lord Jesus Christ was afflicted. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. He was weighed down. Now I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter number 26. We're talking about those leaders there that were pressing him, that were weighing him down. The same word used over there in in the Old Testament to to talk about the Israelites. Matthew 26, verse number 61. The Bible said, the Bible tells us and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? The trial of his passion, the affliction. He was oppressed by the powers by the rulers there in Israel. They were tempting him. Jesus was challenged by the high priest to answer the charges against him about claiming 
to destroy the temple. You know, Jesus had said, hey, you can destroy this temple, but it don't matter. In three days, I'll build that thing again. So they challenged him for an answer. His trial by the religious leaders lasted not only this night, and we read about in Matthew, but all through the night it lasted. And the powers that be there in Jerusalem were oppressing him. He was afflicted by those same leaders as well. Matthew chapter Number 26, look what the Bible says in verse number 50. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Not only was he crushed and he was oppressed by the weight of the authority and by the weight of the powers, but he was uh, afflicted by those around him and by those he loved. You've heard me say this before. Every person in this room can... Can it's almost like it's built in us, like God has placed something in us to withstand tragedy. I, I mean, floods come and hurricanes come and tornadoes come and, and, and cancers come and, and, and car wrecks come and all of these tragedies of life. And if there's one thing that we know is real that nobody in here will deny is there's tragedy in life, there's suffering in life. But it's like something's built in us that we can withstand that but the one thing that will break a person that will just totally roll them and steamroll them is when somebody that they trust the malevolence of people somebody that they've gotten close to and shared their darkest secrets with and, and shared their innermost desires with totally betrays them and that's what we see right here in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ the, the trial of his passion. He was, he was crushed by the, by the rulers, but not only he was, was he crushed by the rulers, he was rolled over by his friends. Right there in Matthew we read. That's what Isaiah was writing about, that there'd be people close to him and those closest to him, I, I, I mean, that, that, that were in the inner circle. I mean, Judas was the one that carried the money. Judas was right there involved in everything. And the 12 disciples and Jesus had placed their trust in him. And here we see in the Gospel of Matthew that Judas was the one that walked up to him and said, Jesus, let me give you a big old fat kiss because I love you so much. But in that kiss, he was betraying him to those that wanted to destroy him. You see, I've learned something in life. And it's one of those hard lessons to learn. But when we read there, and the, I started to say the gospel of Isaiah again. We might as well start calling that thing the gospel of Isaiah because that's what it is. It's as clear as any one of the gospels after Jesus. Right there in Isaiah and then over in Matthew. My friends, as Christians, we better be, be prepared for betrayal. And when that betrayal comes, it's not wearing horns and it's not carrying a pitchfork, but it's going to be the most talented one among you. It's going to be the friendliest one among you. It's going to be the most outgoing one among you. It's going to be the one that everybody stands back and say, wow, this person is a rock star for the Lord Jesus. And that's the one that gives you the kiss. You see, that betrayal will break a person. Jesus endured that. Symbolically, he endured that for every one of us. But literally, he was enduring it that night with the betrayal, with the kiss of, the, uh, of Judas. And so not only was he crushed by the powers that be, he was afflicted by those that were nearest and dearest to his heart. And you see, that was the whole, whole Passion Week. 
was that Jesus was giving up what was nearest and dearest to his heart. And he'd done that for you and for me, his affliction. But not only do we see his affliction in the kiss, we see his affliction in what the soldiers did to him. Turn over to Matthew 27, verses 27 through 30. I want to read this to you quickly. It doesn't need much, much explanation. The Bible says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him, mocking him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. The trial of his passion. Jesus loved you and I so much that he was willing not only to be, have the weight of the government upon his head, not only uh, to take the betrayal of his friends, but he was willing to take the beating of the soldiers, everything that come his way. The trial of his passion was the affliction that Jesus took upon himself so that you and I would never face that affliction of the wrath of the wine press of Almighty God pressed out on us. That's why Jesus did that. That was his passion for me and for you. But we also see there his silence. You see, the Bible says that he opened not his mouth. Listen to what it says in verse number 7 of Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. You see, when we turn over there to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 26, verse number 63, Look what the Bible says when it's speaking of the Lord Jesus. Verse number 63, but Jesus, well, I'm going to start at 62. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. You see, Isaiah over there in his gospel said that that was exactly what was going to take place. And he opened not his mouth. Matthew chapter 27, verse 12 through 14. You don't have to turn there. You can read it if you want to. He was accused by Pilate, the religious leaders, and Jesus said nothing when he was accused by the religious leaders before the Roman governor Pilate. Jesus didn't give a whisper of protest. He didn't complain. You and I, listen, we wake up in the morning, the air conditioner ain't exactly on the right temperature. Maybe the breakfast, maybe the coffee takes just a little bit long. Maybe there's a little old lady going five or ten miles an hour too slow down the road. Amen. And we'll start whining. We'll start crying. We'll start complaining. We'll start saying, hey, this ain't fair. Life's not going too good for me. And hey, we want the whole world to know. Some little uh, 16-year-old girl over there at the McDonald's, we go up and we give her, and she might give us back ten cents too short of change. And what do we do? We'll get on Facebook wanting the world to know that we've been wrong. <laughs> but Jesus suffered the wrong of the whole world upon himself. And the Bible says that he did not open his mouth. He took it like a man. Now if we're going to be Christ-like, I think there's something we can learn in that. James said it like this, be swift to hear and slow to speak. And knowing that we can speak many different ways, sometimes we ought to hold back from telling all the ways that the world's done us wrong and maybe start praising Jesus and letting people know just how good we've really got it. Amen, amen, and amen. Jesus opened not his mouth. He was silent. 
First Peter chapter 2, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he was suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. His affliction, his silence. But I want us to also look at the tragedy of his passion. It's found right there in verse number 8. Look what the Bible says here in verse number 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. The tragedy of his passion. There we see his judgment. The Bible says he was taken from prison and from judgment. His legal decision in a court of law. The Jews, the Sanhedrin, had declared him guilty. The Roman government had declared him guilty. Judgment had been passed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn back to the Gospel of Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew 26. And let me stop there and say this. I'm doing this to show you that what was written over here in Isaiah's Gospel can be found over there in Matthew's Gospel. 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ ever took his first breath after he was born through the womb of a virgin, Isaiah laid this thing out in such a way that there could be no doubt of who Jesus really is. Matthew chapter number 26, verse number 64. The Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witness? Behold now, ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. The tragedy of his passion. He took the judgment upon himself so that you and I wouldn't have to take that judgment upon us. He who knew no sin became sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. The Jewish religious council, they were called the Sanhedrin. You know they were composed of 71 elders, religious elders there in Jerusalem. The priests and the scribes and all of those people, they gave the verdict that Jesus should die for claiming to be equal with God. Well, what happened was because they were under the thumb or the uh, rule of the Roman Empire, they couldn't pass the sentence of death on people. So though they wanted him to die, they'd done said he was guilty. They had to get Rome to agree to that thing. So they take him before uh, a Pilate. And Pilate's had a lot of problems with all these uprisings over there in Jerusalem and all the difficulties going on. And he don't want anything else to happen because he might get his power taken by the Roman uh, leaders. So when they bring him, Jesus to him, he can't find no fault in Jesus because he's weak. And because he's not willing to do what's right, he gives in to what they say. And he said, all right, your judgment will be my judgment. And then he gives it the weight of the law. Now that tells me a couple of things. Number one, people can be so weak that they're not willing to stand up for the truth. Amen. Listen, sometimes the truth will get you in trouble. Sometimes the truth will bring the weight of the world down on you. Sometimes the truth will bring the weight of the religious leaders down on you. But the truth is still the truth and the truth never changes. And God says, stand up for the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. We ain't getting to heaven except through the truth. So we ought to stand up for it. Pilate wasn't willing to do that and he declared Jesus to be guilty. The tragedy of his passion. The judgment of the Roman Empire was brought down on his shoulders. 
But not only that, we see his death right there in verse number 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. The people of Jesus' day didn't understand that the servant that would come to save had to be a suffering servant. He had to die so that they could be forgiven. A sacrifice had to be made. They believed their Messiah was going to come and he was going to just whoop the Roman Empire and set up an earthly kingdom. They hoped he would restore the glory of Israel as it was in the days of David, as it was in the days of Solomon. And many in our country today are kind of like those Jews. We want to see the glory return like it was back in the days when we were seeing these great revivals. But I want to share something with you this morning, church. God's still working. Just like he was, just like he was way back then, just like he was in days gone by uh, in, in, in our lifetimes or in our grandparents' generation. I, I said this the other day. Somebody was talking about the church in America and how uh, it's just dwindling. And, and there's no need for us to lie. There's no need for us to try to sugarcoat it. The church in America has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. There was a time in many of your lives when the vast majority of people on Sunday morning, you would have been able to find them in the house of God. But the sad fact is, even in the Bible Belt, here in the South, as we gather here today, we're the minority. Most people are not gathering together as a people of God to worship Him. That's just a sad reality. But I got good news. The church is growing in China faster than it did in first century Rome when the Apostle Paul was out preaching all across Asia and Asia Minor. The church is growing in North Korea where if they get caught, not only will they lose their life, but they'll lose their family, uh, their family's lives will be taken to the third generation. Listen. What am I saying? I'm saying that the judgment of the world, the judgment of the leaders, the judgment of uh, 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 the powers that be, the judgment of the religious leaders, even death itself cannot stop what's going on in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said it something like this. Hell's going to come against you. I understand that. And there's going to be lots standing against you. And you may not be able to see it in the context of where you're sitting right here in 2019. But the gates of hell, not even death itself, can stand against my church. It'll grow in the amount I want it to grow until I come to take that thing home. He told Peter even the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. So while we may not be seeing it grow here in the United States, and I wish it would, I pray it would, I want to try to do my part that it might. Hey, God's growing his church, and it ain't about America. It's about the kingdom of God growing. Amen and amen. His judgment and his death. They didn't understand. We don't understand either. We think God's got this plan for the American church, but God doesn't have a plan for the American church. It's just the church, his death. Look over in Luke chapter number 18. Luke chapter number 18. I've got to hurry. Luke chapter number 18. Verses 31 through 34, the Bible records these words. Then he, took him un then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, 
Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day shall he rise again. Turn over to Luke chapter number 24, verse number 21. Luke 24, verse number 21. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Here Jesus predicted his death. And in Luke chapter number 24, he's talking to these two on the road to Emmaus. And they're saying, hey, we believed that it was Jesus. We thought he was the Messiah, but they put this man to death. You see, the tragedy of his passion is that Jesus died for the sins of others, not for his own sins. Look what the Bible says here. He opened not his mouth. Uh, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Jesus didn't die for his own sins. He died for your sins and for my sins. He was our lamb slain before the foundation of the world so that our sins could be covered in his blood and be we could be forgiven. The tragedy is of his passion is Jesus had to die for my sin and for your sin. The punishment for sin is death. Did you understand that? The punishment for sin is death. And Jesus died in my place and your place. That's the tragedy of his passion. Death on the cross. Listen, the tomb of his passion is found right there in verse number 9. Look what the Bible says. And he made his grave with the wicked. We're talking about his burial here, the tomb of his passion with the wicked, meaning sinners, so he would be disgraced. You see, Jesus' death on the cross was shameful. He became sin. He took the wrath of God and the, uh, uh, the, the hatred of sin of God upon himself so that you and I could stand clean before him. So with the wicked... Jesus made his burial place. Luke chapter 23, verse number 39. You can turn there if you want, I'll read it. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus was suffering in such a way that we cannot begin to even grasp or understand but not only was he suffering on a cross when he was innocent but he was doing it with two thieves people who were guilty of their sin who deserved to be there and he was right there in the middle of them and Isaiah laid that out right here in verse number 53 he made his grave with the wicked but listen what it says and with the rich in his death so not only with the wicked implying that he would be disgraced but with the rich implying that he would be honored you know the story in Matthew 27 verse number 57 through 60 
You can turn there if you want. Joseph of Arimathea came and he said, Hey, I want the body of the Lord Jesus. And he implored Pilate. And Pilate gave the body of the Lord Jesus to Joseph. And Joseph was a rich man and he took Jesus and let him borrow his tomb. He just put him in there. Hey, he wasn't going to be there but just for a little while, amen. So Joseph could still use that thing later because it's going to be empty after three days. He took Jesus and right here in this rich man's grave, Isaiah had said this thing 700 years. He made his grave with the wicked. He died with sinners. But in his death, he was buried with the rich. And listen to what it says, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. His innocence. Jesus did not die for his own sins, amen. He died for mine and for yours. But not only that, we see his predestination. And I want to close with this church. I want to say this before I go on any further. We've got, we got to finish, I know. How anybody could read Isaiah chapter number 53 written 700 years before the birth of the Lord Jesus and then read these gospel accounts of the gospel see you're reading the gospel in Isaiah it's just Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are written after the fact Isaiah is written before the fact but Isaiah lays that thing out as clearly as they lay it out after the fact. And he does it before the fact. So how anybody could, could read Isaiah 53 and walk away and not say, God, I believe you created the universe. And I believe Jesus died for me. And God, I know I, I, I've not lived for you. And I've been holding back. And, and God, I'm going to give it all to you today. All. Because you deserve it. I don't see how anybody could do that. I mean, it's laid out here as clearly and in such a way that I, I just don't see how anybody couldn't totally surrender and give in to what's being laid out right here. The death of uh, Christ was the plan of our salvation. Accepting Christ fulfills that plan. I, I mean, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, that is the fulfillment of the plan of God since the creation of the universe. Jesus did everything He needs to do. All you've got to do is simply accept that plan and rejecting Christ as Savior does not change that plan. God's plan has been completed, but all you have to do to receive it is to simply receive it. Amen? Well, I want to close with his predestination. That's what I was just talking about. Listen to what it says here in verse number 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. You know this story. It's the day of Pentecost. Jesus has been raised from the dead and he ascended to be with the Father they're there waiting on the Holy Spirit to fall on them and the Holy Spirit comes Peter preaches this message verse number 22 of Acts chapter number 2 ye men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs.
which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked, wicked hands have crucified and slain. His predestination. You see, all that we read about in the Gospels and all that we read about in Isaiah wasn't an accident. It was God's plan all along. It was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Well, Peter goes on and preaches the rest of that sermon. Listen to what it says in verse number 37 of Acts chapter number 2. Now when they had heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. His predestination. I'm glad that Palm Sunday wasn't an accident. I'm glad that the Passion Week and all that took place was not an accident. I'm glad that Judas coming and betraying the Lord Jesus was not an accident. Peter's betrayal, no accident. The arrest and the trial and the mocking and the beatings, no accident. The crucifixion and marching, carrying that cross up that hill, no accident. The death that took place, it was no accident. It was God's preordained plan from the beginning of time so that you and I could be saved. That's what Peter's saying here in Acts chapter number 2. That's what Isaiah is saying. It pleased the Lord to bruise him because he, not us, hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, God the Father's plan was to crucify his son so that you and I could be saved. So today, we might say, does this apply to me? An event that took place 700 years before Isaiah wrote it, 2,700 years before as we're sitting here today. Well, I say 700 years before Christ, God was declaring his suffering servant. He was declaring his suffering servant in the Gospels, and he's declaring his suffering servant today. So the question you might ask is, what do we do? Well, just as Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. The single message of Scripture, redemption, runs down through the pages of the Bible like a snowmelt, slowly forming a mountain stream, and eventually it becomes a giant rolling river. That message begins as a tiny trickle, small and hardly noticeable in Genesis chapter number 3. You know the story. By the end of Genesis, several streams have come together to form a mountain brook. It keeps rolling on, growing larger and larger with each passing chapter. And by the time we reach Isaiah 53, the flow has become a raging flood, pushing on and on, finally pouring out into the ocean depths of the New Testament. All the Old Testament points in one direction, the river of redemption flowing towards the cross. In Acts chapter number 8, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading the book of Isaiah. He was reading from these very verses, Isaiah 53, that we've read this morning. And the eunuch said to Philip, Of whom speaks this man? Of himself 
or some other. The Bible says that Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. The eunuch believed and was saved. Isaiah said in chapter number 53, verse number 1, listen to this church. Who? Who? Who has believed our report? For the last four weeks leading up to Easter, I've tried to report to you on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who hath believed our report? If you're here this morning, You've never been saved. I don't know why things this week worked out like they did. But I do trust God enough to believe that he brought all of everything that happened this week. And me getting sick and didn't think I was going to be here and all of that together. So that I could ask you this question this morning. Do you believe the report that I've made about the Lord Jesus? If you're here and you've never believed that report and trusted in Jesus with everything that you are, everything that you ever hope to be, I'm asking you this morning to stand up as the church stands and you come and you say, listen, I've been halfway in, I may have been three quarters of the way in, but Keith, this morning, I want to go all in for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give it all that I am and all that I ever hope to be. I'm going to die to myself and let Jesus live his life in me. I promise you, if you do that this morning, it'll make a difference in your life and the lives of those around you. But I want to ask you something else this morning. If you're here this morning, and maybe the joy, maybe just a little bit of that joy of your salvation situations and circumstances has kind of pulled that joy and maybe it's been a while since you thanked the Lord or, or contemplated on exactly what was done on exactly what the value of your redemption really is and maybe this morning as we've uh, uh, opened up Isaiah God showed that to you a little bit this morning and you just want to come and say God I know it's been a long time but right here in front of all these people I want to praise your name for purchasing my redemption uh, if God's speaking that to you this morning, you come. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a church family. Or just as I've always said and I continue to say it, if you're looking for a church, number one, find, ones that, find one close to your home that believes the Bible. Number two, join it. Amen. If they believe the Bible. If you're here this morning and you're looking for a church family and you want to make this uh, Zion Baptist Church your home, you come and be a part of what's going on here at Zion Baptist Church. I'm taking off my coat. I'm sweating. I feel like I'm going to pass out. But I know that God's got, He's doing something this morning, church. Whatever He speaks to you. Church, we've been building up to the resurrection. Hopefully you've seen that as we went through the proclamation of the suffering servant, the, the, 
the perplexity of that suffering servant. As we've talked about the passion of that suffering servant. Well, next week, we're going to finish Isaiah. And listen, if you don't shout all week after thinking about this, you might need to get saved because we're going to close Isaiah 53 talking about the preeminence of the suffering servant. Wow, he gets up, church. He gets up. And that's what it's all about. The resurrection takes place. You pray next week that God would work in the hearts and lives of people. He's a good, good father. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you're still adding to the people of God up here at Zion Baptist Church, in and through the people of God here at Zion Baptist Church, for your glory and for your honor. Father, we ask you that you'd bless the rest of this day. May we use it for your glory. And then, Father, we just thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture in Isaiah 53. May it truly change our lives. And, Father, we'll praise you and thank you for all that you do and all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.